Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 83. Uh, what's that? 0083, Stardust Memory. Recorded on Wednesday, August 30th, 2017. My name is Evan Minto. I am your host, and I am also the Teflon criminal. Whoa. My co-host is David Estrella. I am, yeah. David at sign QX20XX Estrella, also known as the content god. I, I, I mentioned my identity as the Teflon criminal because uh, we are going to talk this episode about the phenomenal Netflix film, Death Note, featuring the Teflon criminal oh, very briefly oh, at the beginning man. of the movie. Oh, that uh, was we'll a movie. That in a little bit. That was indeed was a, a movie. Good, it was quite a movie. Uh, but yeah, we're back from, uh, well, so, uh, you, did you go to any conventions? Uh, except for AX. AX. You went to AX, right? I went to AX. Honestly, AX was as much as I needed. Yeah, yeah. it's probably more than enough anime convention for one year. Uh, but I am back from a uh, a flurry of conventions, uh, most recently Crunchyroll Expo, and right before that, Otakon. So really, probably too much too anime conventions. Much. I was starting to feel a little tired at the end of it. I was like, oh, I really, do I really want to go to Crunchyroll Expo? Uh, it's like a lot of panels to do uh, and just like travel. God, I feel tired for you. I'm kind of done with hotels just for the rest of the year. No more hotels. How many floors did you sleep on? I let's see. That's a good question. All <laughs> it's right. A legitimate so question. How many times did I sleep on a floor at a convention this summer? Not at Genericon. Anime Next. I slept on a floor. I think I actually got a bed every night of Otakon. So, but I, like we were sharing a room with a bunch of people, but I did not sleep on the floor. Yeah, I did at Otakon. I did the floor once for AX, and that was way that was enough for me for the year. Wait, I don't even remember where I stayed at AX. You were at I AX. I did sleep on the floor. Yeah, you were at AX. Yeah, we did an interview at AX. <laughs> we saw each other for like that interview. and We did a podcast. We did a whole podcast. Oh. You can listen to it. It's episode number 80. I also did an Otakon episode uh, while I was there. So uh, two episodes at conventions this year. Little, little side content over here. That's right. Yeah, so I mean, I guess probably the first big thing to talk about is Crunchyroll Expo, which is kind of... What the heck is Crunchyroll Expo? It's the Crunchyroll Anime Convention. Yeah, it was it was held in the Santa Clara Convention Center down in the the South Bay in the San Francisco Bay Area. Crunchyroll is out here in San Francisco. Obviously, if you've been listening to this show for long enough, you'd probably know that. And yeah, it's first year con. They got ten to eleven thousand attendees, which is pretty huge for a first year convention. Yeah. Not, not I bad. Say. I mean, it's not bad. There's a lot of there's a lot of conventions that get like they're lucky to get two thousand attendees, right? Supremely and lucky. Crunchyroll backing. Yeah. I thought that they weren't going to get quite that high, but I mean, Crunchyroll obviously is a huge, like huge brand in anime. They're they are like the biggest streaming site, biggest anime specific streaming site, not the biggest streaming site with anime on it. <laughs> Amazon. Everybody has anime. It was a weird experience because Crunchyroll was trying to kind of establish themselves as not just being another anime convention because it was but coming... But it's an anime convention. How much can you differentiate yourself from being one? Right. That's the, that's, that's the interesting thing. And I feel like they actually did differentiate themselves in some ways, some of which were good and some of which were bad. But I think the idea was like, we're a, an industry convention and not just in the ax sense of having industry heavily involved but like literally being run by an anime company so they wanted to kind of say like you're gonna get 
something different than you would get at a convention that's not run by an anime convent anime company right so one of the main funny things about it is that it felt like a convention that uh that like i would have run in some ways if like nobody told me no or <laughs> ideas that only i would like <laughs> so in in some sense like it was like felt like it catered to my kind of attendee which which was good for me and not so good for other people because it was super panel centric oh no <laughs> right so like like i like that i like going to panels a lot i've talked about it on this show that that, that that's like a i find that to just be entertaining and educational and like the most enriching thing to do at anime conventions but where, where's the rave where's the where's the fashion right. show no rave no gaming no. room but it was adjoined with like mag west so that was kind of the de facto gaming room what? no anime screening rooms even though Crunchyroll was running the convention <laughs> like it was missing a bunch of things that you expect to it's missing all the things convention. that you don't go to uh, yeah but all of the things that i want to go to that's the thing right <laughs> But there were definitely complaints from attendees because they were like, hey, I expect these things to be here, but there, you know, there's no video room for me to wander into. And I think it's like it was a combination of two things. I think it was both the maybe a little bit of overlooking stuff uh, or, or kind of assuming that like, oh, well, it's a modern anime convention. We can sort of get rid of the video rooms. We don't need those. And a little bit and probably actually more so the, the latter. It's probably just they planned the thing in six months, right? So they didn't have a ton of time to like just set up everything that they needed. And if the convention center is relatively small, so I think it was probably a combination of like not having enough planning time and, and just sort of organizational capacity to handle all those events. And maybe a little bit of, you know, prioritizing and saying, if we have to pick one thing, it's not going to be the silly video rooms that nobody goes to. It's going to be panels, right? Which I don't know. I think on the whole, that's a better choice. Like if you have to pick something, I think a good panel, I personally, I just think a good panel track is if it's really good is, is a better focal point than having like a good gaming room or something at an anime convention or good screening rooms. Oh, but I, ideally it should have all of that because there's lots yeah. of different kinds of people who go to these things. Yeah. Like, no, without that, you're kind of missing maybe like 90% of the other attendees that you don't interact with. Cause we are definitely within our own bubble where right. we are unlike the rest of the attendees and what we're interested in what we do i guess what i'm saying though is that depending on the kinds of panels there there are panels that an average attendee would be interested in going to i almost feel like the average attendee just goes for like the big stuff or like the stuff that they just hang out in or to just like sit in the hallway Right, but I, I'm thinking of, like, Anime Expo, right? Like, the average attendee goes yeah. to a, probably a hand... I don't know the numbers. I'm just kind of, like, bullshitting, you know, pulling stuff out of my ass here. But, like, probably they go to one or two panels per day, maybe. And it's, yeah. like, a big thing that they... It's, like, some show they're you really can, into, and yeah, there's a guest well, there or something. The way right? things are now, you can only sit in line for one or two panels before the the day's over. Right. So, <laughs> but yeah. I, But I think the, the point was to try to make big ticket panels like that a little bit more than than the sorts of lower key stuff that you or i might be interested in at other cons mm -hmm. and they somewhat succeeded they had some pretty big guests they had uh amano the final fantasy and tatsunoko artist uh -oh. there they had uh keichi sigsawa the uh kino's journey author which i didn't get to see any events from him uh they had hiroshi shimizu 
who's a an animator and animation director who we interviewed once and then we didn't get to release the interview because oops. we never got approvals for it. Oops, oops. Interviewed him at uh, Anime Next years ago when it was when uh, Fujiko Mine came out because he worked on that. Oh, I wonder how many years have to pass before we can kind of slip that one out. That's right. Well, uh, Sayo Yamamoto was part of the interview, so probably zero years because she'll probably kill us if we release it without approval. Uh, we're we're so, patient. Oh, the other one was uh, Kore Yamazaki, the artist for the Ancient Magus, 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 Ma- the Ancient Magic Bride. Ancient, I don't say that thing. Yeah. So people were pretty excited about those guests. I was pretty excited about Shimizu. He did a master class which apparently I, I heard was his request. It wasn't something that the con organized, like he wanted to do it. And it was him doing an hour long talk about the animation process. And some oh. of it was basic stuff that you or I would know. Right. And like fairly big audience. So I think the audience probably learned a lot, but it, some of it was like, you know, you make your characters with clear silhouettes so that people recognize them. Mm-hmm. Like uh, most anime is done at, eight frames per second or six frames per second instead of 12 like disney animations like yep 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 but uh the part that was really wild that i had never heard before was he talked about different approaches to layout art which i guess some listeners maybe aren't familiar layout is the process of uh defining the kind of the relationship between foreground and background as well as a more precise version of the composition based on the storyboard so it's kind of a bridge between storyboarding and key animation and he was talking about the specifically the approach to perspective and backgrounds when drawing layouts and that like studios like production IG do what he called a camera perspective, which was like a kind of very strict one or two point perspective where things will things will distort a little bit when they're like, especially when they're close to the camera. Uh, so things will kind of recede in, in more exaggerated ways the way they do just in general when you like take a picture of something. But ghibli does it in a different way where they try to make sure that like lines like if you look at a building the the vertical lines will be parallel with the screen so they won't kind of uh it's hard to describe in in audio but they won't uh come to a point somewhere off screen right they'll be parallel and that this is the crazy part that ghibli doesn't they try to avoid having a like an actual traditional perspective point that things line up at instead they have a circle of like five centimeters and it's like ah get the line somewhere inside of that circle but they don't actually need mm. to touch anywhere five centimeters you say but yeah uh that was like a really weird thing i had never heard that before and he was saying that that miyazaki says that it makes things look more realistic and more like a human view of the world i guess because the human eye part of it is that the, i guess the human eye corrects for perspective distortion that cameras don't correct for and so some of the some of the stuff that he does is to replicate the way that the eye sees things as opposed to the camera. That is like the kind of production insight that I have never heard in it's an interview very... or in like a panel or anything. Yeah, it's a very Miyazaki kind of thing to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah He's like, weird... uh, I do realistic <laughs> stuff. It's more natural, unlike all these other fakers. <laughs> Apparently Takahata likes it too. It's not just Miyazaki. So now I'm going to look for that next time I watch Ghibli movies. The other big thing, which you might have heard about if you were on Twitter, because some people were chatting about it, I think. I uh, used the word chat. Crap. It's the, they had these things called CRX chats. CRX chats. So the chats are, get ready for it. 
TED Talks. Yeah. Hell I heard, yeah. I heard TED I heard Talks that. at the anime convention. Yeah. Yeah, the TED Talks. Okay. So they're 15 minute talks, kind of condensed panels, and they were presented on a stage where it's like you're walking around with a mic, clicking oh, on the clicker to move between the slides. Like, welcome to my anime TED Talk. Yeah, it was weird i did one of them i think that the the 15 minute format is cool Uh, i mostly think it's cool because i already did it years ago at anime next i I did a panel lightning round thing two times at anime next a couple years ago that was like an hour long slot where i got other people in there to do mini panels and for the same reason that i did that a couple years ago i think it's a, a cool idea to have short mini panels where people can explore an idea that doesn't necessarily fill up 60 minutes uh, which also kind of can add it, it like it's nice for kids who don't have the attention span to sit there for an hour and listen to somebody talk. Right. Who want to like have this quick YouTube style digestible presentation. I'm thinking it's like a panel battle of the band sort of thing. Well, there wasn't a competition, but maybe next year they'll have a yeah. have like a an awards thing or something that would actually or be like or like panel Coachella panel coachella for like just the weird nerds like us who go to all the panels well the thing is you'd have to like make uh you'd have to go all day and all the r18 stuff would have to wait until like 3 a.m that's right that's right yeah it's outdoors there's lots I'm of weed everywhere oh yeah, yeah yeah and of course everyone's everyone's doing drugs constantly. everyone but also I'm imagining that there's a poster for it and it's like a music festival. Yes. But it's just got like panelist <laughs> names. It's like in big, you know, it's like the, the letters that get smaller as it goes down the, the, uh, the billing. Right. And yeah, so it's yeah. like Mike tool. Yes. Surratt. Yes. Oh, I love it. Tom Asnable. And like slightly smaller oh. font. We're like going down the list. We're like reverse thieves. <laughs> Somebody should totally make this like poster. Yeah, this would be for pretty like good. A, a we con. should do this for every con. It should be yeah. like the music festival <laughs> listing of all the Yeah, honestly, the no, convention. it's a good it's a good idea because like sometimes we're like, who the fuck is at this con? That's you just look point. at the poster. Maybe we should do that next year. We'll make a poster for like yes. con. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Panel Coachella. It was a good idea. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I did Changing Faces of Anime as a chat, as a TED Talk thing at Crunchyroll Expo. So that's my character design panel, and I tried to cram over a hundred years of character designs into 15 minutes and was talking very fast so that was a little rough but people seem to enjoy it so i think it i guess i i have a couple more thoughts on crunchyroll expo one interesting thing big big difference in attendance between friday and sunday and saturday like saturday had a lot more people which is typically what happens but it felt like a larger difference like sunday was pretty dead which I think indicates that a lot of the people who attended were there for one day to scope it out. They weren't like committed to the whole weekend, which kind of makes sense for a first year convention. Yeah, and also it's Sunday. Right, but I just mean like Sunday at other cons tends to be smaller, but not ridiculously smaller than Saturday. Like mm. Saturday was packed and Sunday was like, oh, some people are milling around. I don't know. I think it's Otakon that does like a lot of musical guests on Sundays, but mm-hmm. this... This year, all the stuff was like Friday and Saturday, wasn't it? I don't remember when. Wasn't the there like any were. like big like I don't know. I don't think there was a big concert Sunday. I didn't go to the no. concerts. But the other thing was that there were a lot of anime Twitter or anime Twitter people called anime Twitter. I forgot. I, I still say anime Twitter like anime Twitter person. I could never do the the uh, what do you call them? Portmanteau. 
Four months old. So a lot of Anna Twitter people or whatever were there and like journalist writer type people. So I was like, Ooh. oh, okay, this is this makes a certain amount of sense. It's like an industry con. And so it was I felt like a higher density of those kinds of people than usual. Right. It was like all the people I would run into at AX or something, but a tenth of the number of total attendees compared to AX, <laughs> but all the same press there. Right. So it's like there's more of them per capita. So that was cool, too. It's just because getting to hang out with all those folks is really cool. And I did Burger Time. A bunch of people showed up and uh, we had a good time. Burger yeah. Time was packed. Yeah, Burger Time. Shout out to my uh, buddy, Jacob, or you met, uh, what was it, Hacka? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, just, by the way, introduced <laughs> himself to me. And like, I'm frankly, just because of Crunchycast and stuff, I'm used to meeting people who are like, know me from Crunchycast and things like that. And it was really funny because he was like, oh you're evan right and i was like oh yeah like what do you do? So i just was like talking to him he's like yeah i heard about you from david and i was like oh whoa it's a different source this time i was like do you listen to the podcast I was like no <laughs> but i know david i'm like whoa he's one of the hundred he's one of the hundred followers <laughs> the hundred disciples yeah of david astrea yeah one of the, the, he's like the hundredth chamber or the 69th chamber okay Six. That's a. That's the. It's a confident chamber. One, or is the four four hundred twentieth one stronger? Uh. Well, the four hundred twentieth one would be a secret one. I don't even know if there's like chambers one hundred and one through four hundred and nineteen. It's like we just have to push the number up. The four hundred twentieth okay. has the power, the combined power of all the chambers between the hundred and the four twenty. Wow. Yeah, it's like Super Saiyan God Jesus level three or something like that, probably comparatively it has the the same power level as a piece of fan art of super saiyan god jesus yeah yeah oh okay is there actual fan art of jesus it's, going super saiyan dude there's gotta be there's gotta be there <laughs> i'm looking it up right now oh man. super saiyan jesus let's go all right all right but like non-ironic dude there's a <laughs> This, this is the YouTube challenge. Video. There's this a YouTube is the... video called Jesus Christ Super Saiyan, and the thumbnail is incredible. <laughs> I have to watch it now. Sorry, I'm gonna. We're gonna have to pause the show while I watch the <laughs> Super Saiyan video. He did it. Jesus Christ is a Super Saiyan. Finally, you know how people like to talk about how like Jesus was actually black, right? Or, or whatever he was like arabic or whatever the people were there at the time yeah uh he, no that's not actually true uh he was super saiyan <laughs> he was a saiyan <laughs> he came from another planet yeah there's tons of pictures of this dude it's like a whole thing it's a whole genre all right that's it for country roll expo that's basically yeah, my wow. country roll expo yeah wow. is that okay. jesus christ was actually a super saiyan <laughs> okay i don't think we're gonna top that but the in show other must news go on. in other news david you finally made the switch i did i uh i committed and did it i did the did the switch i got a nintendo switch i don't think i was negative on it was i ever saying like i wasn't getting a nintendo switch evan uh i don't i don't know one of our dedicated listeners will have to remind us of that next episode or, or after this episode i don't remember uh, just yeah send us an email at podcast at com to call david out on having definitely previously said that he yeah. will never it's like swearing on his life that he will never buy it's honestly not a, it's not a stretch i can imagine myself saying something like that but no i worked like crazy overtime one week and then i was just in a target 
and they had mountains of switches. So like it was just an impulse, just like I'm gonna get a switch. Okay. And, what do you think? Oh man, the switch is tight. Honestly, Isn't it great. I've been telling you, tight. it's so cool. The, but 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 okay. So the the switch is tight, right? But like a lot of the stuff isn't very well designed like the stand the stand is bad i told you there's like two bad parts about it right the um oh yeah like the the little kickstand thing that's bad the charging thing is also really bad uh the process to get the what what are these things called joy cons what the fuck they're called joy cons which is maybe bad that might also be bad i could i could i could uh you know i could maybe you know start using joy-con and like not hate myself for it but the process to like get them out of the thing is like nerve-wracking because the screen is so big and i don't know how to hold the thing without like kind of like i'm like either touching it with my greasy fingers and i gotta like wipe it down and like oh this whole process i think maybe the solution to that is don't uh have greasy fingers all the time or like maybe get a screen protector man child come on i don't know i like to keep my things natural you know no also, protectors. wait, wait. So speaking of Joy-Cons, I just want to say, I just want to have a moment of silence to remember the years and years in which everyone called them Wiimotes, but Nintendo would steadfastly refer to them only as Wii remotes <laughs> with the like restricted trademark at all times. It would be like, oh, I got to go buy a, a, a Wiimote. Yes. Uh, would you like a Wii remote? Yeah. Nintendo was really like, they're like Legos fucked up style in there and that like they cannot convince people to say we remote like lego can't convince people to use lego not legos that's right that's right like the lego twitter account is so psychopathic because they'll like reply to any random tweet that uses legos and like the correct they're all just pedantic nerds yeah it's like oh we remote uh don't you mean we remote the (sighs) nintendo we remote yeah you can imagine the guy that has to like you just make sure people are using the right uh, trademarks in, like, I guess, like, I don't know, big promotional things, like live videos or whatever. They're, like, they're on the site, kind of, like, staring down the person that's got to say we remote to the TV. You know, the closest we have now is, as I think I've mentioned before on the show, the fact that in all, and maybe they've done this for other consoles, but in all materials, in all, like, presentations that I've ever seen, uh, unless I'm misremembering, Nintendo just, they will only refer to it as the nintendo switch they will never just say the switch like it has to always have nintendo in front of it well yeah i mean anyway all all that crap aside it's very tight um it's very okay so i went into the eShop and i was kind of expecting some uh classic games in there because thinking like this would be extremely cool if i could just play one classic game literally anywhere and there are no classic games except for the neo geo stuff which is just being released separately yeah i mean we talked about this right that 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 to me feels like one of the killer apps as much as this nintendo's re-released all these games over and over the switch to me just feels perfect for like i just want to play or like some retro nintendo games on this thing on the bus now that like now that i think about it it's probably like because nintendo is sort of evil in the way that disney is evil so like i'm i'm literally legitimately believing that this is all a ploy to release the super nintendo classic edition Mm. and like just not eat into the sales for that by releasing classic games on switch because now there are switches in stores like it's probably just a little bit difficult to get but it's not going to be like super nintendo classic level of murder in the streets to acquire one of those so i got sonic mania 
at first. Sonic Mania is actually really good. Like, like a Sonic game was good. Like, wow. Didn't they? Isn't that the one where they gave it to they gave some it like to, fan like, they developer gave it to, like, people? I don't know, like some like ROM hacker dude, I guess, right, right. from Melbourne, Australia, and he made like the best Sonic game since maybe Sonic One. Yeah, it sounds like from what I've heard. I'm not a big Sonic person, but I was I was talking to some people about it that it's kind of the equivalent of what they did with the Mega Man games. Remember they did like the rebooted Mega Man games that were like inspired by the original ones. Which ones were those? I forget. It was like eight and nine or something, or nine and ten. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, but those were right? uh, those were actually like built from Capcom. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. Capcom? No, no, they were definitely built by Capcom. But what I mean is that like. They were in the spirit of the original yeah. games instead of trying. Oh to yeah, no, yeah, those them. games are totally yeah in the spirit. But the thing is, Sonic Mania is really classy with the way it calls back to its old games because like it's not like a sly wink and a nudge sort of thing. Where maybe as far as callbacks go, it's like you've got the prerequisite Green Hill Zone, but once you get past like the first half of it, because it's like it's a two act level system thing where like you get through act one and then you get to act two and then you fight the boss when you get to act two the whole thing is just flying off the rails it's like whoa i got like i had like this rare moment like i normally don't do this but like i had like the stupid look on my face where i'm like i'm actually having a good time like they got my, my tongue out like ah, ah, sonic and I'm like oh yeah that, that's the old sonic look sonic get the rings <laughs> oh yeah, no, Love like, to do that I was, Sonic games. I was, like, super embarrassing at that, at that moment. Like, I, I felt genuine joy in my heart <laughs> playing through some of those stages. Because, like, some of those stages are, they're, like, they're not, they're not even, like, evoking, like, any specific thing back mm. from an old Sonic game. It's just, like, here is one guy's idea of what Sonic could be if he was making it. And he just wanted to like get this idea out that wasn't. It's done Sonic yet. fan fiction, but good fan fiction. It's the best Sonic fanfic in the world because it's an actual Sonic game published by Sega. Right. Yeah, yeah that's it's, like it's that just like is, how uh, the, it's just like how the epilogue in the last Harry Potter book is the best Harry Potter fan fiction because it's ooh. officially published Harry Potter material. <laughs> well, you know, and it's twenty bucks. That was insane. I remember paying like $30 for a stupid Sonic Advance on the Game Boy Advance, which was like the closest thing to a 2D Sonic at the time. But this is like, for 20 bucks, it's it's ridiculous. There, of course, there's like a limited edition, which is, has like the stupid, like, classic Genesis style box, like, like the right kind of like coloring and design. And inside, it's just like, it's nice. just like a big plastic hunk of something. I don't know. And all it is, it's like a download code. It's this huge box just for a single like sheet of paper that has a code for the game. And people bought it. Oh, like it doesn't have a cartridge or anything. No, no, no. It's just it's just <laughs> it's a paper download code and with a like box memorabilia attached and some to it. Okay. Plastic. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, that was good. But of course like I beat that pretty quickly because like Sonic games they're not like they're not long. <laughs> they don't take well, a long time to beat. So then I got Splatoon gotta go two fast. Right. I went really I went way too fast. I'll probably have to go back to it. But then I got Splatoon 2. Just like never played Splatoon in my life. So I decided to hop in on this cuz it's really the like the only game. I played Breath of the Wild already on the Wii U. So Splatoon 2 is the most political game 
of 2017, I think. Okay. All right. You're gonna need to gonna need to sell this like, reading to me. I don't think that there was a Metal Gear game on uh, <laughs> on uh, in like 2017. But like, even like barring the um, the what do you call it? The the drawing thing on the Switch. They're just like doodles, right? Like people just like oh, draw yeah. crap. Oh yeah, the me. We talked about that last episode, and we couldn't remember what it What's was. What's the called? branding for it? <laughs> the Meverse. Meverse. The Meverse. Zone was our joke about the it. Meverse, I think, is the actual name. So, like the the Meverse had a big thing about gender fluidity in Splatoon, and it was intense. It was wild because like you have to cross through the whole city to like get to the um to get yeah. to the hub. Yeah, and you you're gonna be the, seeing like, plaza that has all the yeah. Miiverse stuff. And then and then you're gonna be seeing all everybody's uh Splatoon 2 Miiverse little drawing things. And a lot of them were like super, you know, it I almost like thought it was like a Splatfest sort of thing. Where it was like What was it? Uh boys it, versus girls, and people were like, actually no, that's no. not how it works. No, no, no. I felt like it was like like anti-fascists versus Nazis for a bit. <laughs> Wait, the Nazis are playing Splatoon? The Nazis are totally playing Splatoon too. Uh. I saw like a bunch. I saw a bunch of like, like uh, alt right memes in the uh, in the Meverse drawing. So I'm like, uh, all right. So of course, like you know, when when we hop into like the lobby, of course I'm like trying to shoot them down and like just like focus on like the guy with like the alt right memes in his name. I think one of those guys actually did get banned because like you can go through your like recently played through the. Um, like the the I don't know like the stupid friend code thing, but if like you just run run to like some rando and then like I don't know you want to like friend them for whatever reason you can actually go through your recently played and I'm like going through it and I'm like well, there's a lot of people that I played against but they're not here anymore so I'm guessing they they just got banned. So I guess Nintendo is pretty good about that. Nintendo weird, is though. officially anti-fascist. Yeah. Welcome to the club, Nintendo. Well, welcome to the resistance, Nintendo. <laughs> um but yeah like even that stuff like splatoon 2's got like a weird like story i don't know like the story mode totally doesn't matter right yeah but there's like it's like it's a post-scarcity world right but is it i don't know any of the actual no there's like super deep like splatoon lore i'm like just like remembering stuff like from that i might have that may have been made up online or whatever, but it's like people just turned into squids and they just decided, oh, we'll just do turf wars because there's nothing else to do. Like, why? There's the squids, right? But then there's also salmon and like octopuses, and they're like, you like shoot it's them. Octopi. Octopi. It's the Nintendo Octopi, David. It's the Nintendo Octopi on the Nintendo Switch. I'm sorry right. for Splatoon 2. Um, so I don't know where they're going for this. Cause like you've got a race of inklings, right? But then you've got stuff that you shoot and they don't really communicate back to you. Or they, there's like this own like language, like, cause everything is like in its own language. It's all an animal crossing language. It's like, but like, is the inkling language the same as like the octopi language or the salmon language? And like a lot of it has you like working for like this corporation that like has you stealing eggs from from these like from these creatures and there's just no explanation there's just like there's like pages and pages of like corporate like legalese as like like what your job is and then you actually go out and you steal these eggs with like no explanation but it occurs you get paid for it right so it's 
So I don't know where the what, ethics what you're are in this whole world. Like, it's very questionably, it's got very questionable ethics. The whole world of Splatoon. So you're saying that they used nanomachines to turn everyone into squids. It's and possible. And now there's a war economy. There was there was an uh, octopus in Metal Gear, right? It's that's true. If it happened in Metal Gear, it's you know, Metal Gear Solid Two happened. Okay, Metal Gear Solid Two ended up becoming real. So who's to say Metal Gear Solid Four and Splatoon aren't going to become real either? What if all of them are decoy octopus? <laughs> decoy octopus didn't die from fox die, David. He Is just this- became an inkling. Is this like like the, is this like the that Zelda history sort of thing where you got like the branching path? We're tying together. Is... We're doing it, David. You and I together are gonna so, we're okay. gonna figure okay, out okay, the so way to tie Splatoon... Splatoon and Metal Gear Solid into the same timeline. Splatoon Two is actually a stealth project from like Fox, whatever Koji Pro or whatever it's that's called. That's right. That's right. <laughs> They're gonna reveal that like it was a long game. Like he's been he's been developing it since the first Splatoon. Splatoon 2 is actually a prequel for Death Stranding. That's true. <laughs> it's, like a, it's a guerrilla marketing campaign for Death Stranding. What if Death Stranding is just like Splatoon? Because honestly, nobody <laughs> figured out what the hell just, the game's like. It's just that, uh, what's his name? It's, it's like just Nor- the Nor- it's, it's just Splatoon, but with Norman Reedus's face on every inkling. <laughs> and like the new moderation rules in the Miiverse are that you can only draw Norman Reedus. No, but you gotta let people draw Mads too, because he's cool. David, we have to talk about yes. Light Turner. <sighs> our son. Light Light Turner. The son that we have together, Light Turner. He's uh our, our boy. Our boy he's Light. He's a bad kid. He's really yeah, <laughs> didn't turn out well. For one thing, uh he's a murderer. And secondly, and most important, because really the murderer thing I'm not that concerned about. Most importantly, uh, he's a fucking idiot. Yeah, he, it's like, I was, it's it's light, except he's not a genius at all. Quite quite the opposite. It's yeah, it's it's like what if you took Death Note, which is a story about like two at least canonical geniuses, whether or not you actually find their schemes intelligent as the viewer. At least in story, they are canonically supposed to be geniuses. What if you instead just made it about three idiots, like just colossal idiots? <laughs> like you're, you're like, how is and how are there any of these people, how have they not, like, without the help of the Death Note, stepped in front of moving traffic by accident and been killed? Wasn't, oh, wait, that, that was, like, one of the first deaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay, so this is a Death Note live-action movie on Netflix, which went through a bunch of development hell and then was kind of saved by Netflix pumping some money saved. into it. It was dug from the grave. It's got a bunch of actors you've never heard of. And also Willem Dafoe playing Ryuk, Death God. Oh, he kills it. He's, oh. he's extremely Willem Dafoe and impossible to like not see his face, his like skeleton face just superimposed on the screen <laughs> while he's talking. <laughs> oh, this movie was so good. It's it's oh boy. Like, okay. There's like good movie that's a movie that you can that's like nicely put together and just really makes you feel satisfied that you watched like this intelligent film and then there's a good movie because you're laughing for the entire thing it is excellent schlock is what it is (laughs) it's i just i don't get these people online that are like upset that they watch there's nothing to be upset about 
There's it's, nothing. It's an awful movie, but it's really it, funny. <laughs> it is entertainment from start to finish. Okay. Okay, we should quickly tell I'm I'm like trying to figure out where to start. This isn't like a review. <laughs> we're just we're just chatting about it here. But like, look, it's it's based on Death Note. You probably know what Death Note is, the uh, manga and anime series which ran in one of the shonen jumps i don't remember which one in japan and uh it was really popular back in like 2006 when the anime came out or whatever probably before 06 yeah. i don't remember there's been like movies there's been a tv show there's been another movie there's been yeah. a musical but this is the first time that america has a live action adaptation of death note now i was excited for this when i first heard about it but then I kept on hearing more about it, and it's like actors that you don't know, and it's like directors and writers that just kind of like it's been switching hands, and like Evan said, it's been in hell for quite a while. And also, there's like you know controversy around it the same way as Ghost in the Shell for yeah, like whitewashing it and like you know yeah. replacing the the Japanese main character with a white main character, which was not my main point of contention with it, though I think you know the same as with ghost in the shell my my same complaint stands which is basically just like the character doesn't literally have to be japanese for the story to make sense but come on cast an asian actor this was your shot to do it guys okay so like ghost in the shell is like a major motion picture that got distributed to like thousands and thousands of theaters and was a pretty big bomb boss to boss baby I was going to yeah. keep saying in my sassy clap Twitter thing, Ghost in the Shell lost to Boss Baby. Yeah, it deservedly lost to Boss Baby too. God, that was a bad movie. Um, and it was not entertaining at all. And it was pretty offensive. Yeah, it was, to the it, that's, see, that's that's the good comparison there, because Ghost in the Shell was a bad anime adaptation that wasn't really entertaining. There were some funny, bad things in it. But overall, it, it wasn't like cartoonish enough it was offensively bad at worst right death note at worst is just tasteless trash (laughs) it is just it is the most inappropriate use of 80s tunes ever wait we gotta david let's let's rewind let's rewind rewind back it's don't get to the 80s music yet it's one of the best parts (laughs) okay so look uh about this kid light turner uh he is i'm not really sure where he's supposed to like sit in the social hierarchy of high school but whatever he is maybe some kind of outcast and he finds this book he can write people's names in it and they die he needs to know their name and their face to kill them he can like determine how they die and it belongs to this death god is the term they use uh ryuk ryuk (laughs) a ryuk as he as willem dafoe corrects him it's pronounced Ryuk. It's so good. That's a top five scene. Top five. It's very good. Top five. It's so uh, good. And then he basically proceeds to become a serial killer who uh, kills the criminals for all of, I didn't time it, but let's say five minutes before the movie <laughs> changes gears. <laughs> like this, it's unwilling to commit to the central premise of Death Note, which is that Light... Uh, is a serial killer who kills bad guys and so then it's, turns yeah. into some sort of weird kind of superhero story where kind of they, they start to spread the power around so like he's not the only person who's who's using it and he's has to fight this guy l who is a uh detective who nobody knows his name or face except uh, again 
pretty much that game is up in five minutes when he shows his face to people. Uh, so basically, it's just this weird attempt at like a crime drama, but also a love story and a superhero yeah, I'll, story. Yeah, <laughs> Light Fox. Light Fox. Light Fox in this movie. He, this is the only canon fucking in Death Note between Light and somebody like just right. somebody else. But to be clear, if you weren't around for the heyday of Death Note, the non-canon fucking is uh, Light and L. Whole lot of that. Now. Yeah, there's not. There's almost no. There's light, no sexual light tension between light and L, which makes it that, that's the worst part. Yeah. Okay, that's the that's legitimately like the worst part because the, the zero whole relation, sexual tension. The whole relationship, the whole reason that like Death Note got such big push is because L and Light were very just interesting. They're dynamic. Right, right. And I was like, Light is like it's it's part of the whole mind games where it's like mm-hmm. it's that masterful tension between being L's friend for real. And being his mortal enemy and possibly his lover somewhere in the side. Yeah. And also just the I mean, I used to show people who weren't really into anime the first episode or two of the Death Note anime. And I I never even finished it because it got a little boring later on. But like the beginning and the premise and the way they establish it, like the pacing of that Mm. is is fantastic. Right. Like, right. It's it's a perfect cat and mouse game of like setting up the stakes where it's like this guy has a power that you think can't be beat. And there is the perfect adversary who is like the exact combination of things that make yeah. that like it's, it's, you know, the unstoppable force. And I never remember actually how you say that. What is it? Unstoppable, unstoppable force, force, immovable, object. immovable object, basically like yeah. light can kill anyone. If he knows their name and face, L is a like uh, detective who nobody knows his name or face. And it's like, bam, these two then have to maneuver around each other to try to outsmart each other, right? That is the premise there's, of Death Note. That's the central idea. Like, and there's almost none of that in the movie. <laughs> right, exactly. Instead, it's like, it's so weird because they're antagonistical from the get-go. Well, and it just okay, wait, wait. spirals it, the out show, of control. The show took a while to develop like the all the stuff where they end up being friends with each other, right? Because there's the thing where L in the show and in the manga, I guess, if I remember correctly... Isn't it that L brings Light in to help with the investigation, but L also suspects him of being yeah. Kira, the the murderer? So it's like L's playing this double game of like trying to put him under the microscope while working with him, right? Exactly. That's that was L's whole game is to just kind of game Light into uh, like just being comfortable enough around him to slip up. Right. There's almost none of that in the movie. Yeah, it's. It's, it's all very, so it, it's all very like earnest. Like there's nobody who seems smart enough to be playing those sort of cat and mouse games. Everyone's just sort of okay. shouting earnestly about it's things so, for the whole it's movie. So, it's so hard to believe that L is like this master detective. Right. When like, I think he has like, he shows up to a crime scene. He kind of takes a look around. It's like, yeah, dead bodies. Um, oh, dude, don't even get me started. That's one of the biggest issues at the beginning of the movie is it's like, it was clear from the first five minutes that these people making this movie are not capable of establishing any character, right? Like the, <laughs> all the establishment of characters makes no sense. Light, you meet him for 30 seconds and it's like he's sitting on the bleachers. He does some homework for someone. They pay him. He looks wistfully at the cheerleader girl. He gets the death note. And it's like, do you not know how to write a movie? Wow. Like, yeah. Do you not know how to like establish who this person is before you do the inciting action and, and stuff. He, and then he's got that classic line where he's like, I, I'm 17, so I'm a minor. So technically it's <laughs> child abuse if you assault me. And that's like supposed to be his wit. That's a demonstration of wit right there. 
I wasn't sure what I was supposed to feel about that because I was like, oh boy, this guy sucks. Like that's yeah, my immediate the reaction. Sh- the shit. Yeah. He gets knocked like the fuck out. So it's it's good because like it even when it fucks up, it like recovers right away. Oh, it's oh, there's there's so much. I I kind of stopped taking notes at a certain point because my brain was broken <laughs> from watching it. Oh. Uh, it does have the Teflon criminal who I wanted to call out. Uh, I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean. It's like the guy who killed his mom, but he opens up a newspaper clipping and it's like Teflon criminal gets away with murder or something. And it's like, why is it called the Teflon criminal? Did I miss something? That seems like a very unintimidating name. Also, who calls someone the criminal, right? When you call them like the Teflon killer. (laughs) Oh no, it's the traffic cone criminal. Like what did he do? Did he steal traffic cones or what? What kind of criminal is he? Anyway. Like when you have to make a nickname for somebody on the spot, then you just call them exactly like what they've what they've done. <laughs> but that doesn't it doesn't tell you what he did. That's the best part. It's that kind of stuff. Like that's what I mean by the establishing stuff. It's like the, they try like, to establish what happened people? to his mom in a very very quick scene where he's yelling at his dad, and I was like, I couldn't piece it together, and I didn't feel like rewinding. But he was like. Yeah, Dad, I'm angry at you. My mom died, and mom died in the car crash, and this guy and he got away with it. And I'm going up to my room, and I was like, I, "Okay, whatever." His mom died. I don't care what happened. <laughs> and that's the whole justification you get for him killing criminals. Yeah, and, and also because he fucks, because apparently killing makes his girlfriend horny. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a great part. Is his girlfriend, who's Mia instead of Misa from oh. the original. She's not a pop idol. She's a cheerleader. And uh, yeah, she gets horny when she kills people. That's like 100% canon in there. Is that like that's... she's only dating him so that they can kill people? Yeah. That's the central drama, though, because like the horniness just ke- it like climbs and climbs and then you just can't satisfy it anymore. So that conclusion was great. It's and it's got this weird like, God, the arc in it, like all the, the pacing of the just the sort of like rising action and all that right like the actual structure of the plot makes no sense it's like what what is it saying about light and it's it's like he's like finds this thing decides that he wants to kill people uh and then meets his girlfriend who also like she wants to kill people but she also gets horny when she does it which he doesn't do and he's like he's like he has like no qualms at all about showing right this girl who he's like never talked to like everything behind the well he's the, trying to impress her he's note. trying to impress this girl yeah. he wants to date so he's like hey check and it out she is super I, impressed i am a murderer <laughs> like, <laughs> isn't that cool <laughs> let's go out and then she's like yeah that's actually really cool right that's the, i mean you know good, good on you dude you have you flipped the coin he, you got the right one yeah, wow you found yeah. the, you found the one psychopath girl in your high school Oh, they're and perfect for each other. Honestly. They are because they, they're also yeah. both stupid. Like really again, dumb. everybody's got schemes in this, just like the original Death Note. But man, <laughs> are the schemes incredibly <laughs> stupid! Like the 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 closest you get to original Death Note is sometimes like L. Some of the stuff L figures out. It's all like cribbed from the manga, but it's like okay, that's like that that is somewhat clever or whatever. It's like you know the the thing where he says that the like there was a particular guy who Kira killed who you could like it was only broadcast on Seattle stations like it's straight from the manga but that is yeah. that is a clever thing it's like in the in the manga doesn't he specifically set it up so that some piece of news yeah. airs only in like particular areas of the country and then uses that to pinpoint yeah. the location right 
which is also like a little bit or a lot. It, it, it does a lot better job establishing L in the manga because it shows that not only can he deduce things, but he can like set up situations like set up hypotheses and verify them right like without tipping i think the guy off i think the problem is all of that intelligence just gets shot off into space when l gets his own gun <laughs> when l gets the gun like so that yeah we don't want to spoil it but like a bad thing happens and l is like it's it's i feel like it's classic kind of hollywood writing but it's not even good hollywood writing where it's like it's the same kind of thing with ghost in the shell where people are unwilling to tell stories about people who don't have very intense personal connections to what's going on right I, f- I feel like it's a particularly hollywood like storytelling tick is that you can't mm. you can't have people fighting over ideals they must always be fighting over like their friend is in trouble or something like that right or, or like some personal thing is at stake uh so it's got it's you can't just have l be a guy who wants to stop light because he believes that what light is doing is wrong which is kind of how the manga shakes out which i think is fine i think that's a story that can work a lot of people are motivated by ideals right right uh but instead it has to be no you did this bad thing to me and i need to get back at you for it now and now i'm an unhinged detective guy yeah and i have my own gun great chase sequence though (laughs) chase the interminable chase sequence it's so phenomenal. good. It's like it's got like this hotline Miami soundtrack bumping. It's <laughs> the best part about it's it. So fucking good. The best part. There's so many. There's so many like pieces of gold in this movie. We could go on forever. Is that in the chase sequence? They're trying to stage it so that the characters are like, fr- like they're frantic and they got to push people out of the way. But the problem is there are multiple points where they push people who aren't in the way and like they knock things <laughs> out of the way that aren't. They don't need to be knocked out of the way. Like, there's the point where like Elle jumps over like a, a counter at a at a uh, like a restaurant or a diner or something, and he very precisely knocks over all of the condiments at the same yeah. time. Oh, <laughs> and it's like yeah. you didn't really need to do that. There's points where they're walking past something, and they swing their arms out and knock things off of like a shelf next to them and keep running. And it's like, <laughs> oh no no, in the diner, right? Because Elle also like is jumping over the counter and just smashes the guy's face into his food who's not in the way. <laughs> like, it's like, do you just, you were just angry at him? Like, why'd you have to do that? You were, you just jumped over him anyway. Oh, it's, it's hard to like sum up. Cause there's so many, everything's like incongruous. There's all these pieces that you're like, why, why did anybody do this? Why? Oh man. I'm looking at my notes. There's a, there's like not Alex Jones at one point in it. <laughs> the guy who's like the globalists want you to believe in this false flag operation. <laughs> uh, well, well, oh my god, all the dialogue is is just as it's it's hard to describe what is it what it is that's unnerving about it, but it just doesn't sound like real people. Like it's supposed to have a sort of witty charm to it, but it it's the sort of thing like that that intro scene with light, all right. where he's like. Well, actually, uh, if you punched me since I'm 17, uh, you would be punching a minor. And it's like, it's not even phrased like that. It goes on. Like, it goes on forever. It's like the longest lines. And that's part of the problem is a lot of the, a lot of the lines are like very wordy in a way that like a real person doesn't talk like that. No, but the best, the best line is clearly sleep is the key to strong thought. Oh, they tried to do like a, like a Pirates of the Caribbean line callback throughout the movie. And it's pretty bad. (laughs) Because yeah. like, L doesn't sleep. 
Right, right. But it's also like, let's so, le- like the key to that kind of line is it's got to have some kind of resonance with the rest of the story. And it doesn't. It's like it, it has nothing not, to no. do with anything. No. Like, what's the one? I, I always say Pirates of the Caribbean because Pirates of the Caribbean, I feel like, is they do that a lot. That's kind of like their thing is to just always have these like a line someone says at the beginning of the movie get that gets repeated throughout and then like used at the end of the movie or something. I think in the first movie, it was that like, what is it? It's the thing about parlay or or it's or right it's the yeah the line in yeah. the line in parts of the caribbean is uh uh they're they're not rules they're more like guidelines or something right yeah. which like yeah it's like a kind of catchy phrase but also more importantly it like speaks to the rest of the movie it actually does kind of work because it like says something about the pirate code or whatever yeah, and then like shit goes down according to like the line and how you twist it in that situation right this doesn't so the have line any is actually the line actually has a connection to what's going on in the movie and that so many lines in Death Note are just throwaways. <laughs> right. It's again, it's just like somebody was like, Oh yeah, I gotta have a repeatable line in the movie. So I'll just do this. I'm just I'm never gonna forget those two lines. Well, I'm gonna forget the first one because it's too long. And <laughs> just like child abuse, uh yeah, minor punch, salt, whatever. Just the yeah, keywords. yeah, okay. It's just the keywords, but the the yeah, it's the sleep is the key to strong thought like what the fuck is strong thought i never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death cousin of death (laughs) (laughs) that should have been the line (laughs) i should have been quoting nas for the whole movie why didn't l just say why wasn't he just listening to nas and he goes like i never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death (sighs) good movie Maybe that would have been too, uh, maybe maybe they were like shying away because they're like, oh, light is, uh, L is black, which we didn't mention, which is, uh, you know, not like played with at all in the it's... movie, except for the one incredible scene that I can't believe anybody let this through. Yeah. Did you notice? I know. You I know, know what I'm talking about. I know. There's a scene where I know the... L, the detective, the black detective, has a gun on light, the 17-year-old white mass murderer, and light's like, uh, I'm Kira. Uh, this guy's trying to kill me or something. And oh no, the other guy, the L says, I'm a detective. I'm trying to get this Kira guy who's right here in front of me to some other guy behind them. Some like guy from a restaurant. And the guy like is a Kira fan. And so he knocks out L. And it's like, you guys really, okay. So, so I, I know what you're going for there is the guy likes Kira, but you're really, you're really going to do this thing where like the guy assumes that the black guy with the black detective with the gun is actually a criminal who's bad. <laughs> Like, and you're not gonna maybe they, they even there. try to reflect on that for even a second. The the thing is though, they went there and then they did like this whole Lord Kira thing. So yeah. they like completely backpedaled on what could have been like like a commentary on race because you don't need that shit in Death Note. But it's also just like even if even with it not being a commentary on race, it's like you really want to create the implication of it having something to do with race. Especially in like the whole movie has just not been about that. Yeah, it doesn't touch on that at all, which it's would have, just, which it, would yeah, have been fascinating, right? An American version of Death Note yeah, would like, have been interesting the, if it had tackled that would have been wild. Like that. It would have not been handled well, but it's just been insane to watch. If race had actually played into the Death Note, or, movie, or but politics in any way, right? I mean, honestly, yeah. If and obviously, like nobody's gonna have the courage to make a movie like that, but it's oh. like not with a property like Death Note. But I, you know, talking about like giving someone absolute power and then putting that in the context of real world like politics in the u.s would be probably scary and interesting yeah this is like no no it's not it's, it's not, not the right movie, movie for yeah. that <laughs> uh okay we could talk about the 80s music david oh 
God, it's so oh, powerful. <laughs> it it does have that it, no it does have that tick that, that movies do that like Hollywood movies I feel like do a lot where they always have eighties music playing at modern high school proms and things. And it's like it just, it goes I don't know about you, David, but none of my I went to like two proms in high school. We were not playing eighties music. I think things have changed though because the radio is very eighties centric now. I think there's a big push for like better like when time like times were better even though times have like never been better in the 80s or the 90s or doubles or whatever it's always been bad but for whatever reason we kind of gravitate towards the 80s and then the sound of the 80s kind of brings everybody back even do, though we do you think that high schoolers aren't listening to skrillex at proms like that's what i imagine is going on i think they listen to both to be honest with you okay yeah well i don't know Honestly, it's only been a couple Evan, of years since I was in high school. We're a gener so. we're a generation removed from the teens. We are we are right? now a generation removed, but I'm I'm not that old. It's like okay, our generation is big on like vaporwave and like like uh, J pop from the eighties, right? So they I mean they, we are trying to evoke better times because these are awful times that we're living in. We don't want to think about these times. So the usage of eighties music in Death Note, not only just for like the prom scene, but we're just yeah. It's starting. It's music. like you don't you don't really get it from the beginning, but it's like it's building up mm -hmm. towards like this just like operatic moment oh my at God. the Ferris wheel. Oh, dude, it's the, the Ferris greatest wheel musical scene. cue in the whole movie. Oh, but, but there's another one later that's almost as good. <laughs> oh man, it's it's like a supposed to be a tragic scene, and they just play like this kind of upbeat sounding '80s pop song. And it's like I, I, you know, there's a there's a certain incongruence that can work if you do that right. Like, you know, End of Evangelion has got the come susser Todd thing that's like contrasting the music with the, the visuals. It 100 percent doesn't work because it just feels like it totally feels like it's supposed to be a happy scene. And also the movie's so absurd leading up to it that it's hard to take it seriously anyway. I don't want to spoil that ending no. because like there's too many. It's. Like the movie is so stupid, it doesn't matter. But the the twists in it are so like all the schemes are so harebrained that it is actually worth you seeing it blind and not knowing what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, honestly, there's just worse anime adaptation, worse manga or anime adaptations that you could watch, like Ghost in the Shell, for example. Yeah, Ghost in the Shell is just a slog until you get to the best part of the movie where it she's Scarlett Johansson stands in front of a gravestone that says Motoko Kusanagi. Which is the <laughs> highlight of the Ghost in the Shell movie, by the way. Oh. <laughs> it's the single best scene in the entire movie. It, that's that scene speaks so so much to me. Yeah. Uh so there's another scene i forget where it is but later in the movie where there's another like like in the sort of denouement there's supposed to be a uh big <laughs> there's like another kind of tragic scene or something and like i i think it's when like l is going through the house and there's like another 80s pop song playing <laughs> while he's like crying yeah that ending's a ball crush to be honest they really tried you, to go cause... for like a sherlock thing where they're like oh this this scheme like here it is everything was planned out yeah no, I think it's really like it's the right way to end, but it's just it's it's very like everything just deflates at the end. It's the biggest issue is really just that light is not his motivations aren't clear. It's like not it doesn't make any sense why he does anything or why he would be motivated to do any of it. Like it's I think you have to like bring a lot of the 
baggage from the uh, other adaptations or the original manga with you to just kind of fill in all those gaps. But he doesn't. Ha- he's missing like core parts of the. He's missing. Yeah, he's missing stuff. That makes, he's missing stuff. That would make it think, make sense. Like, yeah, but I think you have to like. It helps to have like seen one of these other adaptations or to have read the manga because like you have like an idea of what light may have been. And then this one is like missing a lot of bits, but I think it. I think I think it's a situation where it does help to know like the original or one of the other adaptations that are more faithful to the original. Yeah, I mean, because this is a bit of a mess. Yeah, it's like fu- fundamentally, he's he's a uh, the whole point of this movie is he's like he's not a bad guy. He's just in over his head, which is it, and like it doesn't no. it doesn't really <laughs> interrogate that. Like, okay, oh, he wasn't that bad. He just murdered hundreds of people, right? <laughs> It, for five minutes right right for five minutes yeah in a, in a fi- montage where minutes. he like fucked his girlfriend while he murdered 500 people like for five minutes and then you kind of like have to like just shift all the like the antagonist role onto his girlfriend right that's so i mean spoilers that's basically what they do is that she's the one who's who's a little more gung-ho about killing people <sighs> but it's it's like doesn't s- this is the problem. This is the kind of the ghost in the shell problem is by trying to make everything very personal. It's like, oh, it's about him and his girlfriend. It's about like L and his yeah. relationship with this other person. Like it just strips it of any kind of commentary that it could make about things outside of these individuals. Because neither of them really have a strong ideology. Like, nobody is operating on ideology. It's like light kind of just has like a vague amount of he has he has some amount of ideology, I guess. Right. But he's like. Oh, I want uh to help people. Oh, but that was too much. I oh, never mind. Whatever. His girlfriend yeah. doesn't have any ideology. She's just horny, and L is like partially. He has an ideology for part of it, and then he's just angry for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I like like the one of the older movies had like this tagline, which is like "I am justice" or that's something the, like that, that's and the that thing like with really Death worked like this... because they both believed yeah. in the same thing, but their means were different. That's the in the original anime it had that and i imagine the manga too i haven't read much of it but like it was this idea that these two people both believe that they're the good guy which is a pretty standard way to tell a good story right and it's like they also what what makes it interesting is the fact that they aren't it's not that they both believe that they're good guys but they represent different values right like one of them represents justice and the other represents revenge or something which is how you might tell that kind of story right instead they both represent justice, just like you said, two different versions of it. And that makes right. for an interesting story because you can sort of, as a viewer, you can kind of bounce between the two and the, the story can bounce between the two in terms of like which one seems more right at any given time. Yeah. Meanwhile, like Netflix Death Note is just kind of that role is just bouncing around. Nobody really sticks to like, well, good or bad. It doesn't really matter. Here's a bunch of stuff happening on the screen. Yeah. And it doesn't. I guess they're they're making more movies, right? Because this first movie definitely doesn't resolve oh, the I hope tension they make that is one. there. Like the tension <laughs> isn't between two different versions of justice. It's like Light and Ryuk, basically. That Ryuk is like a bad dude. Yeah, and Ryuk's Light is role a is good a bit, dude. Ryuk's role is a bit different in this one. I felt like he was more involved in what, in like some way. Yeah, and and you he's see him like affecting a lot of events. Or he's he's not really the antagonist, I guess, but he's he's close to it, right? I mean, he is a he was a, he was just like an observer, yeah, yeah, yeah. For most like most of the manga, it's like sometimes he could be pushed into doing stuff for 
for uh for other people but this one is like he almost has like his own game going on right which is also not very clear his game is i guess he wants more people to die because yeah it's good for business for him yeah which i mean that's fine that you don't need to explain that he's a death god or whatever so sure he likes people dying but yeah it's like he kind of sits there as just this this force who's he doesn't really do much in the movie even he kind (laughs) of just is there to be like the devil on the shoulder except that again like light lights arc disappears he doesn't he doesn't give in to the devil on the shoulder after the first like quarter of the movie and then it's all just him being like oh boy oh shucks i'm in over my head how do i get (laughs) out of this one i like that the book had like a ton of rules compared to the a lot of rules it's like a christopher nolan movie it's it's like a good like way to just ask pull your weight out of uh of like situations where it's like well this is dumb yeah, it's also I mean, the whole thing is dumb. I mean, again, like a very Chekhov's gun way of like like it's a it's a standard thing that you see a lot in like superhero movies and, and stuff. It's like it's like Chekhov's rule, I would say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like superhero <laughs> movies do it all the time. It's like it, Doctor Strange is like the mirror dimension. Uh, once you're in here, sometimes you can't get out or something like that. Right. And then like the end of the movie, it's like turns out we have to use the mirror dimension to win it's like i knew that because somebody said here's a rule that's not relevant right now at the beginning of the movie so of course it's what you use at the end of the movie (laughs) and it's kind of it's fine that these things are predictable by the way i'm not saying that like stuff being predictable is is bad but uh and frankly the rule thing isn't the worst part of the movie that's kind of fine that they have all those rules that's like whatever that's how movies work a lot of times So yeah, they better make more. Yeah, please make more Netflix Death Note. Death Note, uh, please. I don't want anybody to yell at me like, "Oh, if it was so bad, why'd you watch it?" I watched it because it was funny, dudes. Get used to it and go watch Death Note because it's funny. <laughs> it's the best <laughs> anime movie of 2017. Okay, we've been running a little long. Uh, let's answer some questions. Let's get to questions. Oh, it's the best part of the show. We just talked about Death Note, so let's let's start with a death note question from at sign Enazel on twitter will a western live action ever be good i assume he's talking about a western live action anime adaptation yes it, uh, they made a good one it was called death note no <laughs> speed <laughs> speed racer was fun actually um, i'm a speed racer defender yeah i'm just i'm gonna say death note 2017 <laughs> honestly and then like distant second maybe uh edge of tomorrow it's uh, like tangentially yeah, related. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a light, it's a kinda, novel that got turned into a manga. I feel like I feel like it's a cop out. Yeah, it's not answer. a true anime manga adaptation. Technically, Old Boy, the American Old Boy, is a manga adaptation. Technically, I, the American Old Boy is like it's a beat for beat the Korean Old yeah, Boy, yeah, yeah. but like none, like none of the energy. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I think they said they were adapting the manga, but they were totally adapting the Korean movie. <laughs> yeah. It was not, no. So, yeah, I mean, yes, I think that we'll eventually get one. It'll probably take a long time. But as long as anime remains any kind of, like, semi-important force in, uh, in like, the Western world and in, in entertainment, which it is right now, right? I mean, it's Sony's trying to buy Funimation. AT&T owns Crunchyroll. Big players are paying some amount of attention to it, even if it's just one small part of their media catalog, right? So... Yeah. 
we're going to keep getting stuff. I think I, especially like, I think the Netflix model makes a little more sense than the ghost in the shell model. Like the kinds of people who watch anime are going to hate watch it on Netflix. They're not going to go out and pay for a theatrical screening. So probably going to see more stuff like that on platforms like Netflix and Amazon and uh, Hulu. Actually, Amazon's a, a likely culprit now that I think about it because of anime strike. Uh, oh, geez. What are they going to get? Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, anime strike gives them an in gives them an in with the Japanese industry. So they've got like the connections to start cutting those deals. Uh, well, at least we'll never we'll be we'll be able to look forward to another very wonky Western adaptation of anime after Death Note. Yeah. I hope, and and the I thing hope, is, like somebody will get it right it. eventually. You know what I mean? Like, there's enough. There are there's enough money, and there's enough smart people. Few though they may be, in. Uh, I think that there's enough. I think that there's enough like tent poles, like just completely flopping, and pretty soon it's just going to be anime movies because that's like the license is probably going to fa- be fairly cheap. Yeah, I think there's enough. Uh, like anime has a lot of properties that could work in some form, and really what matters to the studios is just having like a property that provides some kind of seed and a name for something. So like they're going to be bastardized. They were looking at Akira. They're going to be bastardized versions of these shows. Like don't expect (laughs) to have some really faithful adaptation, but you're going to get something that has the name and some vague idea of some show that they licensed from Japan. And one of them will be like the most death note was like the most kind of new license that they picked up. I think. Right, like in terms of publication, because like stuff like Dragon Ball, yeah, and Ghost in the Shell, and all that stuff was '90s. So I'm guessing it took like 20 years to get the license and actually move something. Yeah. Whereas Death Note took only maybe 10 years or so. So well, I mean, now... they weren't starting from the first time that the movie came out or whatever, right? No, but it's just like whatever they assume is popular is like <laughs> we tend to be a few years in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is the Code Geass movie is going to be really good. Oh, God, the Code Geass movie. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're talking about uh, Switch and Crunchyroll Expo. At sign Pat's Prime says, what was better, buying a Switch or going to Crunchyroll Expo? Probably buying a Switch. But you didn't go to yeah. Expo. No. No, my, my uh, you know, I haven't, I don't like go to the store. I just like get it online. So for the Switch, of course, I can't get it online. So I went to the store and it was just like, it was a reminder why I don't go to the store anymore. Uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, Crunchyroll Expo will give you three days of TED Talks. The Switch will give you unlimited hours of uh, not going to the island in Breath of the Wild, which I still haven't been to, that island that everybody God, tells me to go to. Go. You have to go. <laughs> All right. At sign Elliot Page, have you done what we see in all the adverts for the Switch and played it at a rooftop party? Okay, so you hooligans who actually walk around with your Switches and your backpacks, I really, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Play like, it on the bus. I, well, since the day I bought my Switch, I don't think I've moved it out of my room. Do you have a case? No. Right, once you have a case, you can more safely even, do it. Even then, no, even then, like, I don't want to be the doofus in public transit with a Switch out when I can just, like, grind some experience cards in Fate Grand Order. My phone would just like, die immediately if I tried to a, play all those it's games, an, so. It's, it's like an image sort of thing where, like, in public transit, I gotta, like, not look like a super vulnerable douchebag, which a Switch in my hands would make me 
look like? If I have my phone out and I'm playing a game, I'm just like any of these other jerk offs on the train. I don't know. L- so it's a, it's like a camouflage thing. I don't know if it's like me being in New York and just being paranoid about everybody sitting around me, but apparently Evan walks around everywhere like directly head on into traffic with his switch in his hand playing his Breath of the Wild. Yeah, well, that's what Light wrote in the Death Note. Evan will <laughs> play Breath of the Wild and walk into moving traffic. <laughs> uh yeah so i mean it depends on the train like i probably wouldn't play it a bunch on the new york subway but uh, if i'm on like a commuter train that makes a lot more sense and my commute to work is on a bus that's mostly old chinese ladies so it's really not much of a threat i'm not really you know i don't think any of them are gonna like mug me or anything you can't even stream anime on the switch that's true very missing i haven't played it at a rooftop party i have played it at a party and most importantly the the best use of the funniest use of the switch is i played it on a camping trip with the with the Ugh. dsa with the democratic socialists they were doing a camping trip and i was at it and uh i forget i ended up like it came up that i had a switch with mario kart and someone was like oh let's play it and i was like really and they're like yeah i was like all right and i we like took it out in front of a campfire and played Mario Kart, which I, I felt like an idiot. I was like this. I'm doing the ad right now. I'm doing the stupid switch ad. <laughs> but that's why you have Mario Kart with you. So you can pull it out at any time to play with people. At sign animated Inc. Host of old talk. We know radio here on Annie gamers asks, is the switch the horniest Nintendo system? Why or why not? Joy cons. I say Yes. I say no, the Nintendo DS is the horniest Why is the DS the horniest system? Okay, because it had Field of Magic on it, which was all about rubbing up on your girlfriend. That is a horny Yeah, and you could marry the girl, or not marry, you can date the girl in Love Love Plus. Mm, Oh, right, the guy guy married the girl. He married the the Love Plus girl on his DS. DS And uh, it had a port of Dragon Quest V where you can canon get married and have a kid and then have that kid fight in your party. Mm-hmm. So there was like actual procreation in the game. Okay. Okay. I'm going to modify my answer. So the DS is the horniest (laughs) Nintendo console for now, but it depends on the features that they add to the relationship system in the Fire Emblem game that's going to be on the Switch. That might take it over the top and make it the horniest system. Yeah. Two Joy-Cons, one in each hand. The wife on the screen. You've got like the bootleg strip mahjong ROMs on the NES, but I don't know if we're counting that. That's a deep cut. Wow. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, you clearly haven't been on like all the cool the, the cool ROM sites that I go to. All right, we got one last one at sign Jum's Dog Petter. Oh, don't know. Okay, uh, how do you keep yourself from accidentally using Team Feet discourse while talking to hashtag Never Team Feet Nakamas? Okay, this is Evan now talking. Okay. I have no idea what this means, David. I assume this is for uh, you. Yeah, I, um, I guess we have to give a special on-air shout-out to to Gus Dog, the 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 foot god. Um, Gus Gus Dog is a dog, and he he's basically team feet. So this is like the whole story behind that question. Um, that did not the explain. The key, it. the key is to maintain eye contact at all times. Because once your vision starts to drop down to a certain level, then you're just thinking about the toes all throughout it. So, you know, you want to kind of like fake your way through the social interaction. So keep it on the eyes, just focus, and you won't be thinking about feet. 
Okay, well, um, that's a teaser for our upcoming Foot Fetish podcast in which we will be talking extensively about the Garden of Words. So uh, thank you all for listening <laughs> to the yeah, Anagamers thank you, thank podcast. You, uh, I'm still a little perplexed by, by that whole answer, but we're just going to have to keep moving. Uh, you can email us your questions anytime you want, any time of day. The uh, email box is always open. We, we made sure to pay for that special email service that other emails don't have. Uh, it's at podcast at anagamers.com. You can also tweet at us questions or comments or just, you know, your adoration. Uh, is that the way you say that word? Whatever. Adoration. Uh, you can tweet at us at... Maybe, maybe even attraction. That's right. Yeah, you can, if, you know, you know, whatever you want. At sign Vampvo. V-A-M-P-T-V-O. That's me. At sign QX20XX. That's me. At sign Annie Gamers is the official Annie Gamers account. We are both on Mastodon, another social network. It's a decentralized thing. I'm mastodon.social slash vampedvo or at vampedvo, whatever. David. I'm like, I don't, do I remember it? Cairo.ccsakura.jp slash at sign uh, 20XX. Yep. And anigamers.com slash podcast is where you can go to get show notes and more information about the show you can also listen to old takuna radio our sister podcast i was a guest on their episode about otaku no video the ova which is what their podcast is named after it's very confusing I feel like they're more like their older brother podcast that's probably true because they're old they're newer to the game they're newer to the game but the mm. uh we got to get the age thing going that's here. right uh, i was also a guest on friends from the internet or your friends from the internet which is uh, Dave Riley and uh, Graziella, uh, his wife's podcast about, uh, let's say, an advice show. So Dave has been on this show before. He's one of the hosts of Fast Karate for the Gentleman, him and Joel. So uh, if you want advice on life stuff and not even necessarily anime, we only talk about anime a little bit, go check that out when that comes out, which is soon. It uh, hasn't been released yet. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and find our writing on anigamers.com. I wrote a review of In This Corner of the World and interviewed the producer, Masao Maruyama. I also interviewed the uh, director of Little Witch Academia, Yo Yoshinari, and David wrote a review of Near Automata. And we've got more interviews and some other reviews and stuff coming up very soon. Have a lot of backlogged items to get through. Yeah, Evan just got back from a three-week bender on, uh, on Conspace, so it's good to have him back. Yeah. Uh, now I have way too many interviews to look through. I'm also writing for Otaku USA magazine, including an upcoming review of Code Geass Akito the Exiled. Back on that Code Geass train. And David's got a blog. I do. QX20XX.tumblr.com. And I am blogging occasionally at animeburgertime.tumblr.com about anime burgers, just like it says on the tin. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all hopefully in about two weeks with another podcast goodbye don't forget sleep is the key to strong thought check check it's me test one two three death note is good death note is good now that i'm on the recording i can say death note is an extremely good movie on the record